We're in the book of Hebrews. We've been here for a little while, so open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. And uh, let me just start off by saying what a week we've had. Um, as you know, uh, this past Tuesday we hit our, our midterm elections here in our, our great country. And uh, I stayed up pretty late because I, I actually am intrigued by politics. Uh, I'm more intrigued by how people respond to things than I am the actual deal. But... Um, and I just, the process is interesting to me, but it was interesting, you know, when I went to bed, probably after midnight, um, uh, Republicans were claiming victory, Democrats were claiming victory, and yet on Wednesday, I can honestly say that our country was more divided than it was on Tuesday. So, um, I'm not really sure who won there, but I will say this, there, there just is so much racial tension and hatred and fear and pride in our country right now, and it's very troubling to me. Um, we still don't know today who the governor of Georgia is or will be. Uh, everybody, everybody's just pointing their finger at each other. Florida has been and still is messed up politically and, uh, it's a mess. And I know a lot of people in, um, you know, you may have thought this past week and, and people all over the world and looking in and certainly Americans are like, what's going on here? I mean, what is going on? Well, to me, it is clear that people have anchored their hope in the wrong places. Whether it's a politician, whether it's a political party, an idea of how things should be, they've anchored their hope in the wrong places. And then beyond that, you know, uh, man, my goodness, this past week in Thousand Oaks, California, there's a mass shooting, a 29-year-old man walks into a bar and grill and just open fires and shoots and kills 12 people before taking his own life and it's just horrific and then weeks before that a man sent pipe bombs to to key democratic leaders as well as CNN and before that or around that time there was a man walks into a synagogue and opens fires on 11 Jewish people and, and kills them right there in their house of worship and and I don't know how many times the number of how many these events have happened just in the last few years or five years, but every time it happens, you just see division immediately. It's almost like that didn't just happen. We just, be, people begin fighting and pointing fingers at each other and attacking each other on TV and social media. And it's just this hatred and fear coming out of people. And, you know, we just go, what is going on? What's going on in our country? What's going on in our world? And here's what it is. We, we've just, we're, we're losing or we've lost our ability to sit down and reason together. Instead of trying to gain understanding, people, we're, we're, people just attack one another, with, which just divides people further. And to me, it's just clear, again, that people are anchoring or have anchored their hope in the wrong places, in the wrong places, in the wrong people, and whatever. And when we find ourselves in times like this, when we see the world around us desperately grasping at world leaders for hope or looking into a political system to deliver hope. I think the question that all of us should be asking as followers of Jesus Christ, here's what we should be asking. With each election, with each news of terror, with each Facebook or Twitter post that gets our blood boiling, we need to stop and we need to take a deep breath. We need to pray for the God of peace to bring peace to our spirit. And then we need to ask ourselves two questions, two questions. The very first question as followers of Jesus, here's what we should ask ourselves. 
what does love require of me at this moment? What what does love require of me at this moment? As those who profess to follow Jesus and then make up the body of Christ, we are we are all we are recipients of a grace and love that we do not deserve. There, there's, there's nothing about you, there's nothing about me that deserves the grace that we have been offered by God through his son, Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, God said that in the book of Romans chapter five, that when you were at your very worst moment without hope, he said, I sent the greatest expression of love that I could possibly send to change your hopeless situation. I sent my only son, Jesus, to give his life for yours so that you could be forgiven of sin, so that you could be offered eternal life, so you could be rescued from hell that's love that's love so what does love require of us what does love require of me well Jesus was asked that question and in Mark chapter 12 verse 30 he said this he said love the Lord God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength love requires me to love him back and then he said this love your neighbor as yourself there is no commandment greater than these love God That's simple. God said, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, the second one seems to be a little tougher. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some of you are thinking, are we going to get to Hebrews? This is my entry right into Hebrews. I promise we're we're going there. But I want to say this, and it's going to sound like a soapbox, but it's it's really not. In in 1997, we we moved here. Um, My wife, Amy, Taylor, myself, handful of others. We moved here from all over the country and, and we started this church basically to reach our neighbors with the love and the grace of God. And at the time in 97, Northwest Atlanta was predominantly white with the majority of people voting for the same people along the same party lines. And so for the most part, you drive around here, the neighborhood looked the same from street to street, from house to house, from neighborhood to neighborhood with a small bit of diversity mixed in. But God called us to reach our neighbors, the whole neighborhood. Never a question. Love everyone, reach everyone. 21 years, two months, and here we are in 2018, and I want to make an announcement to all of you. The neighborhood is changing a bit, okay? Our country is changing. Our state is changing. Northwest Atlanta is changing. Dallas, Georgia is changing. The demographics five miles around this building, the building, uh, this church have changed. If you were here last Sunday in the service, you saw I had most of the uh, East Paulding football team and many of their family members and parents and coaches. And if you just looked at that team, you realize the the neighborhood's changing. But the requirement of love has not changed. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. That means that you, you, you don't just love the neighbors who look like you, think like you, vote like you, worship like you. No, no, no. You love the whole neighborhood. Love the whole neighborhood. And if we follow the requirements of love, okay, and if we do this well, then Westridge Church is going to continue to look a bit different as time goes on. That means now that there are going to be people sitting around you, right? And they're here right now, who love God just as much as you do, but voted a little bit differently than you did this past Tuesday. And as hard as some of you are going to find this to believe, 
they feel very passionately that they voted through a very biblical lens. Some of you are like, well, you need to fix them. No, no. You need to sit down and understand them. You need to sit down with them and say, let's talk about this. Because I know you love God. I love God. I want to understand you. What, see, what does love require from us right now, Westridge Church? It requires that we love one another. Okay? Be loving in your conversations in this building, around this building. When you get in your small groups this week, in the weeks moving forward, work through the tension, work through the discomfort, work through the dense fog, seek understanding, show each other grace, but let love guide you because it's worth it. I promise you it's worth it. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, Brian, you're, you, you're a bit idealistic and maybe I am, but I happen to believe that anything is possible through Jesus. I believe in the power of love and grace. I've watched it change even the worst of sinners in my own life. I, I believe in the potential of the church. Matter of fact, I believe that, that the only place that this kind of diversity and community can actually work together in real unity is in the body of Christ in the church. And here's why I believe that. I, because it's centered around a kingdom that operates on a very different and contrasting values and ideals than the kingdoms of this world. And it serves a king who values each person equally because he created each one of us in his own image. And then he created a place called the church where his image bearers could come together regardless of what neighborhood you come from, what your skin color looks like, where you were born, who you were born to, to worship the king and then to be trained up in the values and the principles of the kingdom to then be sent back out into the world with the power of the Holy Spirit all over you to advance his kingdom to shine a light into the darkness so that those who are far, far, far away from God could find their way back home. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's where we all clap together. Come on. That's the potential of the church. That's the potential of the church. And the world desperately needs to see it happen. Because they're losing hope in everything. If it can't happen out there, it's got to happen in here. Because we have what the world is missing. We have a greater hope than what the world is grasping at. And his name is Jesus. And he's not housed in a building. He's, he's housed inside of our lives. The hope that the world is so desperately looking for is not found in a religion. It's not found in a political system. It's not found within brick and stone. But it's found within us, our lives. So how we live and how we treat each other, it matters so much. Because we're image bearers of Jesus. So the first question we have to ask ourselves in times like this is what, what does love require of me? The second question is, as a follower of Jesus, how do I act? How do I, how do I respond during times like this? You know, this past week, I don't know what to do with all that stuff that's going on. How do I respond to, to especially to those outside of the building? What's, what's my role? All right, here we go, ready? Stay out of the mud Stay out, stay, rise above the craziness. Don't lose perspective. Don't lose hope yourself. Instead, just keep, just keep pointing people to Jesus. 
And remember this, you have been commissioned by Jesus and you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to be ambassadors of hope in this dark world. Romans chapter 15 verse 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are to overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, what an amazing opportunity we have. Now, now listen, I'm not saying... Don't get involved in the political process in our community, in our country, in our world. What I'm saying is don't be part of the problem. Like a lighthouse, we should be directing people to the only true hope that we're ever going to have, Jesus. And, and, and believe it or not, this actually leads me right into Hebrews 7. Because back in 64, 68 AD, people were without hope. Things were crazy in the world. There were Christians scratching their head going, I'm not sure what to do right now. I don't know which way to turn. The Roman Empire ruled over the world. They ruled over Israel and Jerusalem and, and they ruled with an iron fist. So there was, there was this tension, there was this hatred, there was, there was confusion, there was fear. Now understand this, the Romans actually had a lot of respect for the Jewish people. They, they respected their history. They respected that um, that for thousands of years, the Jewish people operated under a strict set of laws based on an ancient covenant that was thousands of years old and all of that governed their decisions and their behavior and it impacted how they did family life and how they set their calendars and how they raised their children. And even though things were always tense, the local Roman rulers would actually consult with the Jewish religious leaders on matters that impacted Israel and Jerusalem. And both of them together, the Romans and the Jews, they found some commonality. They found a common threat, Christians. Now back then, followers of Jesus weren't called Christians, they were called the way, but for the sake of this morning, we're going to call them Christians. Christianity threatened Rome because it was spreading so fast and it was centered around an individual. It was centered around a person, a person that they thought they had killed, but somehow had resurrected from the dead and then revealed himself to people. And so Jesus was a threat to Roman power. Christianity threatened the Jews because it all centered around a man who claimed to be the son of God, the Messiah, that the Jews had been promised in their scriptures. And yet, when he came, he taught differently than what they expected and he acted differently than what they expected. Instead of embracing the old Jewish covenant and keeping all of its laws, he actually claimed to be the fulfillment of the Jewish law. Instead of coming to crush the enemies of Israel with power and might, he spoke a very different message. He ushered in a new covenant based around love and grace. And so the Romans and the Jews together, they persecuted Christians. They drove them out of their homes. They drove them out of their cities, forced them into hiding. Thousands were beaten. Thousands more were killed for their commitment to following Jesus. So it was tough. It was very tense. People were losing hope. And so when we get to this time frame, when this letter had been written to these Jewish Christians who are called the Hebrews, many of them out of fear for their lives were beginning to lose hope and they were escaping back into Judaism. They were walking away from Jesus. Many of them thought that Jesus would have returned by this point to rescue them uh, 
But, but when that didn't happen, they begin to lose faith, they begin to fall away, they begin to turn back to the heroes of their past, the heroes they grew up with, Abraham and Moses or even the Old Testament prophets. They begin to go back to their old way of living, thinking that that might be safe, going back to Judaism, going back to religion. Listen, as we've said over and over, these were genuine believers, followers of Jesus Christ, who were under extreme persecution and were feeling great pressure from, from powerful people to abandon Christianity and to abandon Jesus, and they were losing hope. And so out of desperation, they begin to look for hope in places and people that ultimately would never be able to deliver true hope very much like what we have today. And see, that's what happens when you lose hope or, or you become desperate and you begin to do desperate things. You see, that when you lose hope, you begin to do desperate things. You begin to, 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 to do things that are outside of even maybe your character because it seems like all hope is gone. So here's the message to the Hebrews. Here's the theme of the book don't give up on Jesus. Don't, don't lose hope in Jesus. He's better. He's greater. He's sufficient. He's enough. He is your hope. The hope that we find in Jesus is not just wishful thinking. You say, what is hope? Let me define it this way. Hope in Jesus is a strong, confident expectation in his future faithfulness and in his presence. The hope, our hope is not found in, in, in a religion. Our hope is in a person. Our hope is Jesus Christ. Now, when we finished Hebrews chapter six last week, I wanna read the two verses that, that, we, that we ended with and I'm gonna roll right into chapter seven. Here's, here's how we ended. The writer of Hebrews says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So the writer says, listen, we have a hope. He is the anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And then he brings up a name that's very interesting. Who is this Melchizedek and why is he even in the story? Why is he mentioned here? Well, back in Genesis chapter 14, during the time of Abraham, before there was actually a nation called Israel, there was a king, his his name was Melchizedek. And he actually ruled over what we would know today to be Jerusalem. And the Bible says he was a priest of the most high God. Hebrews 7.3 says he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now this Melchizedek, he, he's, a, he's an, an interesting character in the Bible. He, he's a unique person. There's no record of his birth. There's no record of his death. Nothing about his family. He appears out of nowhere and then he basically disappears into oblivion. He resembles the son of God, Jesus, even though he's not Jesus. And, but like Jesus, there's no end to his priesthood. And the writer of Hebrews continues on through verses four and 10 and tells us that even though Melchizedek was a contemporary of Abraham, he was greater than Abraham. And he begins to describe why. Now, why is he mentioned here? Well, the writer knew that the Jews, the Jewish Christians, they put a huge amount of value on this guy, Melchizedek. 
And the Jews also put a huge value on human genealogies. Long before there was Ancestry.com and Family Heritage and the Mormons who do a great job of keeping up a genealogy, the Jews were all into it. Under Jewish law and tradition, they knew that a man could not become a priest unless he could certify that he had an unbroken lineage back to Aaron. Who's Aaron? He's the brother of Moses. Aaron is considered the father of priests. The Levitical priesthood flows right out of Aaron. Jewish Christians knew exactly who Melchizedek was. They knew that he was no ordinary man or no ordinary priest in their history. He was actually an important figure in their history. The Messiah that was, would come one day would be, would be like him. Melchizedek was not Jesus in the Old Testament. He was maybe a foreshadowing of Jesus. So the writer is saying to these very troubled first century Christians, listen, you want to experience unusual peace and hope during these very troubling, unique times? You're only going to find it in Jesus. Don't don't go back. You will only find it in Jesus. And the only person that I can actually think to compare him to might be Melchizedek. That's what's happening right here. Then the writer of Hebrews 7 turns the conversation back to Moses and the Levitical priesthood and he asked them a very important question and I'm going to read it to you in verse 11. He says, now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron. In other words, if the Levitical priesthood system and the law works so well, then why did God see the need to send another priest like Melchizedek rather than one who would come from the genealogy of Aaron? Now, don't, don't miss this. Don't, don't zone out on me right now, ready? The role of a Levitical priest was to make sacrifices on behalf of Jewish people to provide forgiveness for their sins. And no, but no matter how many sacrifices were made, no matter how, how many rituals were performed, nothing could get the job done. Nothing could provide eternal forgiveness of sin before God. It was a flawed system based upon the Old Testament covenant for a very specific purpose. You're like, why would God set up a flawed system? Why would he do something like that? Because it pointed the Jews to a savior, a Messiah, a priest who had no beginning and no end, who would come and usher in a brand new covenant and would offer eternal forgiveness by providing a true, perfect sacrifice and would serve as a forever priest. The whole thing was set up to say, this is never gonna work. Look to the Savior, look to the Messiah. He's the only one that can get it done. Now, here's what the writer says that Jesus accomplished in verses 18 through 19. He says, he set aside the old system of priesthood and the old covenant, the law, because, and he writes this, it was weak and useless. It never made anything perfect. And then he says in verse 19, he says, but now we have confidence in a better hope. There's a greater hope through which we draw near to God. Now, why is Jesus our greater hope? Why was he their greater hope back then and why is he our greater hope today? We have a hope that is effective and it's guaranteed because it comes with a solemn oath from God himself. We have a greater hope. We have a better hope. There was actually an an oath regarding Jesus. What does that mean? Well, back in Psalm chapter uh, 110, 
King David wrote a prophecy about this coming Messiah Jesus in 1000 BC. In other words, a thousand years before it actually happened. And the writer of Hebrews quotes it in Hebrews 7, 21, 22. Here's what he says. Look at it. He says, for God said to him, the Lord has taken an oath and he will not break his vow. You're a priest forever. Talking about Jesus. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. Folks, in times like today, where things seem to be going off the rails, see, we don't need empty religion. We don't need an imperfect system that's going to fail us. We don't need a human leader with a fancy pedigree to lead us. No, we need real hope. What we need is life that is indestructible and everlasting. We need a priest that's unchanging and permanent. And we find all of that in Jesus. All we need is in Jesus. He is intimately involved in every detail of your life. He he doesn't miss a thing. He knows what you're dealing with right now and he knows how it's all gonna end. He knows all of the unstable emotions and fears that are swirling around in your head right now, maybe as a result of all that's taken place this past week, but he also knows that our hearts are anchored in him. He's not letting go of us. And he knows that we are weak and empty in ourselves, but that we are strong and we are complete in him alone. So I want to say to to, to you what the writer of, of, of the book of Hebrews was saying to these Jewish Christians years and years and years ago. It's tough out there. These, these are troubling times that we're living in for everyone, but don't walk away from Jesus. Don't fall away. Don't anchor your faith in the way things used to be. Don't go back to your old life. Don't, don't go back to religion. Don't put your hope in any political leader or political party. We are the children of Jesus. He has purchased us with his shed blood. He will never leave us. And when we wander away, he's coming after you. That's who we are. He's our greater hope. Now, in Hebrews seven twenty three, the writer it's interesting. He just, he just decides, he says, I'm, I'm going to take one big swing. I'm going to throw one more knockout punch to this idea that these Jewish Christians are going to find hope in leaving Jesus and returning back to their past. And here's what he says. He says, you don't need a priest to help, help you build a bridge to God. You don't need that. Jesus already built the bridge. Matter of fact, Jesus is the bridge. This ministry of a human priest, the writer says, it's just temporary. It was temporary, but why? Because the priest is human and the priest died. They all died. But the ministry of Jesus is forever and permanent. He saves you and he keeps you saved. He He doesn't just intercede for you once. He just keeps interceding. And then let me close by reading these powerful words of verse 26 and 28. I'm gonna read it out of the New Living Translation. He says, he is the kind of high priest that we need because he's holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and he has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he doesn't 
need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people of, of, of the, for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I just, I can just feel the emotion that that writer is writing with. I mean, this is a strong, powerful, emotional appeal to a group of hurting, confused Jewish Christians. And it's an appeal to us this morning. Jesus offers every one of us a greater hope. He's greater because he's sinless. He's greater because he didn't offer just any sacrifice for our lives. He he offered himself a permanent sacrifice. He's greater because he's the son of God forever. And you need to know this morning that there are no skeletons in his closet. So that means there's no political action group that's working behind the scenes to dig up dirt on him because there is none. You can't question his motives and you can't accuse him of trying to use people to gain power or influence. He sacrificed his own life for people that didn't deserve it. You can't question his credentials or doubt his transcript or even be suspicious about his birthright. There are over 350 prophecies that were fulfilled proving that he was and is the son of God. So don't lose hope today. Instead, anchor yourself in a hope that is firm and secure, the only one that comes with a guarantee from God himself. Now, I want to talk to those of you who may be here today who are far from God. Maybe you've never received the love and the grace of Jesus because maybe you're just not sure about Jesus. You you, you really don't know what to think. Maybe you're skeptical. You've never received forgiveness of sins. You've You've never put your faith and trust in Christ. You've never received God's offer of salvation and eternal life through Jesus. And and maybe you've been asking the question, why Jesus? What makes him better than everything else? Why not, why not Buddha? Why not Muhammad? Why not Mormonism? Why not New Age? Why not Jehovah's Witness? Keep going. Why, why not? Why, why not that? Maybe, maybe you're counting on a religious background, a religious family background to get you to heaven. I, talk, I can't tell you how many times I talk to people about this salvation decision and they'll say to me this. They'll say, you know what? I've always been saved. And I just want to say to you, that's not true. You have not always been saved. Maybe you think that good behavior or a lack of really bad behavior is going to make things acceptable to God. That's just not true. And if that were true, we wouldn't need Jesus. Here's what you need to take away from this whole talk on Hebrews chapter 7. If you have come in here today and you are far from God, the whole thing about Jesus and Melchizedek and priests and sacrifice and old, new covenants, Moses, Aaron, here's what you need to take away. The only way to know God is through Jesus Christ alone. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. You will never be able to earn this. The only way that you can ever know God personally is through Jesus Christ. Here's the other thing I want you to take away. The only way to reach God 
is through Jesus Christ alone. Jesus said this himself, John chapter 14, verse six, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you are here today and you have never received salvation, you are far, far, far away from God as far as you could possibly be. The only way that you can know God personally is through Jesus. You can't work. You can't be good enough. You can't avoid enough bad things. You cannot be born, right, born in the right family, the wrong family. It's, it's only through Jesus. The only way that you can ever reach God is through Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth. No one comes to him except through him. And so in just a moment, I wanna give you an opportunity to settle that. But before I pray, church, listen to me for a moment. Don't lose yourself in all that's going on right now. I, I don't care what's going on at that church down there, that church over there, that church, what they're talking about. I, God has called me to shepherd this church. And so I wanna shepherd you for just a moment, okay? I believe with all my heart that if we will just ask the question, what does love require of me? And if we will just, I'm gonna love God, I'm gonna love people. It will just take care of a lot of things. It will, it will, look, it will cause me to look at someone different than me, someone who comes from a different part of the country or grew up on the other side of tracks I grew up on or has different skin color different ethnic background and just will say, you know what, your, your, your value, you were made in the image of God. I was made in the image of God. We are image bearers of Jesus. I have Jesus in me. You have Jesus. The only thing that we look completely different, but the, but the blood of Jesus has saved both of us and the Holy Spirit, that same spirit. So you know what, you're worth it to me to sit down with you and to talk and to understand. And if we still disagree, that's okay because we're probably gonna get to heaven and find out we're both wrong about some things. But together, let's agree. I don't care what happens forward. We're not gonna lose hope in Jesus. And we're gonna anchor our faith in him because it's, the Bible says it's, it's the only thing that is secure and firm. Let's make a pact and we'll just keep talking. We'll keep asking. And, and, and as I get to know you more, I'm gonna, if you'll trust me and not get upset at me, okay? Because I just don't understand. You, I'm talking about real, this is real life Brian right now because this is the conversations that I have with my brother Chuck over here and I have with some others. I, I grew up in Detroit, but that means nothing because I, I love my brother, I love my sister, I love, I want to understand and that's the only way that we're gonna stay out of the mud. That's the only way we're gonna stay out of the division and the hatred and the fear. And that's the only way the pride's gonna come down is to say, you're worth it to me. I love you because of Jesus. I love God I'm gonna, and I'm gonna get in this with you. And I don't care what happens in this country out here. It's not gonna divide us and it's not gonna divide this church. And I will tell you what, together and all of us together, we will show the world. We will show Georgia. We will show Paulding County that it can be done. 
that we can bring the kingdom of God to earth, that it's right now, that we can show a little bit of heaven right now. And regardless of what you're facing out there, when you walk through the doors, you get loved on. And there's an understanding, and there's a commitment to understand. And we may disagree, and that's okay. And we may get back two years and pull different levers in the box. But that's not our hope. That box, that name, that system, that party, that's not our hope. It never will be. It, it just can't be. If that's it, we're all in trouble. It's Jesus. The spotlight in this church will always be on Jesus. He always gets the spotlight. I don't care who's singing up here. I don't care who's preaching up here. He always gets the spotlight because he is our hope. In times like this, in times like that, when, the he- when that book of Hebrews was written, that writer's going, please don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Don't take your eyes off the ball. It's just Jesus. Don't leave him. Don't fall away. And I say to you, it's still the same here today. It's all about Jesus. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Don't fall away. Don't turn against each other. Let it be about Jesus. For those of you who have never trusted Jesus Christ to be your savior, I want to pray with you right now. Would you just bow your head with me for just a moment? You're here today and you've never, you're far, far, far away from God. You're lost. Pray with me, Lord, at this very moment, I put my faith in Jesus, not in me, not in my behavior, not in my actions, not in my background, not in religion, but in Jesus Christ alone. Forgive me of my sins. Make things right between me and you. The only way to know you is through Jesus. The only way to reach you is through Jesus. And so I say yes. Thank you, Jesus, for offering me a grace I don't deserve and for receiving me into your family at this very moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.